Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Amen. Well, August is gone. We are now in September. The summer's gone. But did the summer actually arrive? I don't know. <laughs> did I miss it somewhere along the line? I don't know. Um, but we are back in the book of Ephesians. And if you've been here for a little while now, you would know that We've been going through Ephesians, and we're in chapter 4 at the moment. And we've been looking at, in chapters 1 to 3, um, the emphasis on Paul speaking about doctrine. And us as believers knowing what we believe and knowing why we believe it. And so we've looked at how doctrine is so important. And within that, we've looked at our position in Christ. Um, and we looked at things how positionally we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Positionally, we, you know, have an eternal inheritance. Uh, positionally, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Um, but then we, we looked at our position in Christ and we sort of like mentioned that even though that is our position, that doesn't always outwork itself in our experiences. Because as we go through our experiences and we walk with the Lord from day to day, we know that all kinds of madness happens. And we have lots of opportunities to actually either act in the flesh or act in the spirit. To walk as the Lord would have us walk or to just say, well, this is me, and I'm not going to change. And so the Lord's desire is that he will take us through this process of what we call in the Bible sanctification, setting us apart, you know, chipping off the old we so that we can become the new we, if that makes grammatical sense. Because the aim is to be changed into his image and his likeness. Amen? That's the whole point. And so, in the earlier verses of chapter 4, we looked at how Paul said, you know, we need to, like a garment, put off the old man and put on the new man. And he, he mentioned things in earlier chapters. He says, you know, don't be like this. But be like this, because this is how you have learned Christ. And then we had in the earlier verses of, of chapter 4, you know, we had, we had comparisons of extremes, of, of you know, um, degenerate man going to an extreme. So now, after Paul gives us those examples of, of, of extremes, you know, we come to verse 25 of chapter 4. And basically from here to the end of the book, what we're going to actually have are practical outworkings of our Christian walk. You know, as I said, the first three chapters are very much doctrine. The last three chapters is definitely, now you know this stuff, this is how you outwork it. And so that's what we're in the business of, outworking what we know to be true. And within verses 25 to 32, which we'll be looking at today, Paul describes a series of negatives and he balances these negatives with spiritual positives. And he shares simple, practical truths and distinctions that Basically, as we look at it, they're going to speak for themselves. 
in so many ways, you don't really need me up here trying to explain it because it just speaks for itself. But if you have your Bibles today, which I hope you do, I'd like you to say amen. And if you have your Bibles today and you said amen, can you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, reading from verse 25 to verse 32. And again, if you are there, amen. Amen. Okay. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. So, as I said before, the Apostle Paul now begins to give us this list of practical distinctions. And the distinctions between someone who professes to be in Christ Christ and therefore because they are in Christ subsequently you know they produce fruit as evidence that they are in Christ as opposed to someone who isn't in Christ and is not producing evidence of fruit in their life and what the Apostle Paul is basically saying, and he uses this, you know, he's kind of like saying, if, if God has made us, as we've looked at previous chapters, God has made us one new man. If he has placed you in the body, if you are a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if all these things are true, then you should act like you are a new creature. You should act like you are a new creation. And our new nature should affect the way we think, the way we act, the way we talk, and the way we walk. That is the evidence. And if that is not the case, if there is no real change and no evidence of a distinction in our living, then really the only real possibility and conclusion we can come to is that there has not been any real change in your nature. Does that make sense? Because one equates the other. If you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, then you will act differently. And if you're not, you will continue to act the way you were acting before. There may be subtle changes, but in so many ways, to have subtle changes and not have lasting change is really denying the fact that we have, Christ, we have the Spirit of God living within us. And that we have the power and the ability to change. Somewhere along the line, we just say, well, I don't want to change. I don't want to work with the Lord. And so, as Paul starts looking at these distinctions, the first thing he's, he, he mentions here, which I think is interesting, is our speech and our communication with each other. And he says, therefore, putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. You know, and before we became Christians, you know, maybe we didn't have a problem with lying. 
And maybe we used to think, well, it's only a little white lie. And a white lie is still a lie. And a half-truth is what? It's still a lie. It's a whole lie. (laughs) And so, lying, you know, that is a characteristic which should not be of a Christian. And what Paul actually does here, he quotes the Old Testament because he's quoting Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 16, which says, These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. And so as we look at this, we know that God is not pleased with those who lie. And God's economy, God's kingdom is established and built upon the foundation of truth. We know from Hebrews that, you know, it's impossible for God to lie. So we can go to God with all confidence, knowing that whatever he he says to us will be truth, will be the truth. Whether we want to hear it or not, whether we want to accept it or not, it will be truth. He even goes to say in Romans Chapter 3 and verse 4, he says, let God be true. No, just some men. Just some men. Let some men be a liar. No, the good ones, they're all right. Every man a liar. So, again, we have this confidence that God is true. You know, he is the God of all truth. We know that the spirit is the spirit of all truth. You know, we know that Jesus in the flesh He was full of grace and truth. And so God being all these things, do you think he expects anything less from his children? He expects the same standard from those who profess to be his children. That we will be established on truth. That in our communication with each other, that we would be speaking truthfully, speaking the truth in love. And that's speaking the good things as well as the not-so-good things. Sometimes, lovingly, we have to challenge each other and say, you know what, bravo, you know what, sis? You did this or you said that and, you know, it wasn't really right. Or the way you was acting wasn't really right. And, you know, I just, it's just on my heart and I just want to bring it to you, you know. And then the recipient of that shouldn't say, who do you think you're talking to? Who do you think you are? Shouldn't be offended. But generally, as Christians, we do get offended. We go, oh, I'm so touchy. I want people to talk to me harsh. Touchy Christians. That's the modern Christian now. Touchy Christian. Can't be told anything can't be challenged and you know as you look through the gospels you know jesus was was ah he was having a go at those disciples all the time how long have i been with you cats and you still don't get it he was always challenging them you know those pharisees he was getting in their faces and so you know we need to What's the political correct way of saying this? We need to people up as believers. We need to people up. So, God expects no less from his children. We are to put away lying. And again, it's this imagery of getting something and putting it away. You know, in your minds, however that works for you, whether you put it in whether you put it in that wardrobe or that cupboard and it's got a key and you lock it and you, you throw away the key and you forget about it. Or if you, you, you put it in a safe, you know, or one of, them, one of them Swiss bank accounts you've got. I just, you put it away and you just forget about it because that is not you anymore. You're not a liar anymore. 
and painfully, if somebody says, did this happen? You would say, well, the truth is, you know, you tell the truth. It's hard to tell the truth sometimes because, you know, we lie because we want to protect ourselves. We don't want to be seen in a particular light. Did you come in 15 minutes late for, into work? Uh, no. Yes, you did. And you're on a warning. So I'm going to sack you now. I'm going to stop these little analogies and these jokes. I'm glad I got a second service because we call white. <laughs> you're feeling me, Pastor Rob? Amen. We have a new nature. So we don't lie anymore. And as I said before, you know, every day we have opportunities to lie. Every day we have opportunities to bend the truth, to say a little white lie, to say a half truth. And, you know, it's, it's not how we should be as God's children. And the fact of the matter is we can do these things, you know, um, but God sees everything. He knows everything. You know, every word we say is being recorded. It's being compiled. I mean, how the Lord is going to outwork all that in the end, I don't know. But it's scary. You know, being judged for every idle word. So if we're going to be judged for every idle word, what about every lie? Ooh, that is scary. So, God takes lying very seriously. And, you know, a couple of references. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8 says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But it's just a little white lie, Lord. You got your place. That's scary. And I'd imagine that the reason why God hates it so much is because, you know, in John 8, it says, you are of the father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth, which is what everything I represent, I represent truth. Because there is no me, there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. So, perhaps that's why God hates it so much. I don't know. But we move on. And it says we shouldn't lie because basically... We are members of one another. So if we're in a family, if we're part of a body, and we're, in a, we're lying to each other, that means we're not in a healthy position. If we are in the world, and we're meant to be salt and light in the world, and people who, who know us to be Christians say, well, he's a, he's a Christian or she's a Christian, but you can't really take their words seriously because they lie. Well, that's not a good look, is it? So, it has greater consequences if we lie, if we don't tell the truth. And, as I said, you know, through this book... Paul has the unity of the body in his focus. He wants us to be unified. He wants us to know that, oh, well, you, you were a Jew and you were a Gentile, but you're no, technically you're no longer a Jew and you're no longer a Gentile because God has made us one. And in this oneness, he wants us to work as a one body, moving together, one, being effective as one. And so... Lying only brings harm to the body. And then he goes on in verse 20, he says, be angry 
and do not sin. And so here we look at anger management. Anger management. There was a film called Anger Management, wasn't there? I can't remember it. Anger management. But we look at it in a, in a positive and a negative sense. And I say that because as believers, we should know that there is a place for righteous anger. And it's a place where we have a righteous anger towards those things which we know the Lord's not happy about. about. You know, when we see injustice, you know, we should be able to have a righteous anger towards those things. You know, when we're around, again, people who may not know the Lord, um, and they're, I say chatting their nonsense. They got their world views and everything. <laughs> I mean, it should, we should, it should rise up a righteous act and say, well, actually, excuse me, but it doesn't actually go like that. I want to present God's perspective on this whole thing. A righteous anger. But we have to be careful with anger because anger and sin are so closely related that it can quite easily tip over into sin. And that's why he says, you know, be angry, but do not sin. Don't get it twisted, you know, have that righteous anger, but don't let it become anger, which now becomes sin. And, you know, some of us may have a problem with, with anger. Some of us may not know why, but things just infuriate us and we get mad quickly. And obviously that is anger being dis described in a negative sense. And, you know, just in considering these things, I was just thinking, you know, when, when, when those opportunities arise, you know, it's, it's an ideal occasion, it's an ideal opportunity to, to actually demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's actually an ideal opportunity to say, do you know what, I can feel myself getting wound up, getting angry, I can see it coming. But you know what, Galatians 5, you know, God doesn't want me to act like that because that's just the fruit of the flesh. All right, then, um, you know, but the fruit of the spirit, yeah, I know it's warring and it's contrary. So, all right, then, I've got a decision to make here now. What do I do? Bun that, I'm going to act in the flesh anyway. Or do we sort of like take the harder choice and say, oh, it may even hurt. It may physically hurt. I don't know if anybody gets that. You really want to tell something like about it, and it's physically like you're getting in knots inside. Can I get a witness here? But then you kind of like just hold it down, take a deep breath. Okay. Maybe you did that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten. You count to ten. But do you know? Practically, if that's you, that's what they're the things we need to do. If I stay in front of your face any longer, I mean you're going to have it out. So you know what? I'll see you in two minutes. And you go for a walk, you go around the block. Now that's spiritual in my mind. Look, if you want spirituality to be, then go for it. But you know, spiritual for me is when I have an opportunity to act in the flesh and I say, you know what? Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Let me try and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit here. And if that means me walking away from a situation, praise the Lord. For me, that's spiritual. So, Galatians 5. You know, if you haven't got it marked out in your Bibles, mark it there. 
And there's always, um, there was, you know, when I first became a Christian, there was a, there was a verse which really, really, um, really, really spoke volumes to me. And it was in Proverbs, Proverbs 16, um, verse 32. And I don't know, because I used to just get wound up into it. And, um, and uh, I remember when I first, going off the market now, when I first passed my driving test and I had my little beetle, um, I used to love my beetle. And, uh, you know, I used to think the road was mine. And you got him, get out the way. I used to drive, like, angry all the time. And it used to, I just thought, what is going on here? But when I became a Christian, you know, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32, that's only me. I know I'm the only one who used to act like that. It's just me, isn't it? I know, I'm, I know you guys. You don't, I know. I know. But um, it says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Wow. That's deep. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Now that's, that's big. I used to think to myself, wow. What can, in God's estimation, if you can just sort of like control your anger, have a bit of self-control here going on, what, he kind of like values that as somebody who's like, who's powerful and big and everything. I mean, I, I haven't really looked into the spiritual dimension there, but do you see my point? That is deep. And that used to help me. So if that is you, that one is for free. So, discipline. We need to be disciplined as God's children. And... You know, we need to look, in my opinion, at the fruit of the Spirit, have self-control. You know, these all, in my mind, spiritual qualities that will help if we have issues with anger management. Um, now, it goes on to say, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And generally, when I hear this verse, it's normally relating to, to married couples, it's normally related to married couples, you know, when they get married and everything. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. However it's said. You know, if you're upset with each other, if you're angry, you know, work it out. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And, you know, and it's true. And I encourage married couples, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. If there's an issue... Resolve it as quick as you possibly can. But, and my but is this. You know, this verse isn't um, specifically linked or directed to married couples. Because, you know, we know that Paul goes on to speak about married couples and marriage, doesn't he? So he could have added that in there as well. If he wanted to, he could have highlighted the point again. And you married couples, when you get hooked up and everything, don't let the sun, you know, don't be angry and don't let the sun go down. But he doesn't. He mentions it here. So, you know, just looking at the text, I'm under the persuasion that it's, it's, it's a general statement to believers as a whole. You know, it's, you know, if we got beef with each other, really work it out as quick as we possibly can. You know, don't let the sun, if you're angry with someone, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Go to your brother. Go to your sister. Work it out. You, go, you know, again, these are hallmarks which make us different from those in the world. You know, people in the world, you upset them or they upset you. And they, you know what? Again, I'm going to use the word bun you. I don't need to talk to you. Delete your number. Facebook, I don't know anything about Facebook. I'm not going to accept you as a friend on my Facebook. Is that how you do it? Don't accept them as a friend? Delete them as a friend? Somebody help me. Somebody say it louder. All right, nobody does Facebook in here. I know you lot are lying now. The Bible says you should not lie. I've already just said it. Anyway, that's how the world works, but we're not to be like that. We're meant to be of a different heart and a different nature, okay? So, we have offenses with each other, we have beef with each other. We're meant to go to our brother, even to the point if we're coming up saying, yeah, 
I'm going to put my offering. He says, leave your offering, at the, your gift at the altar. Go and be reconciled. You know, but, you know, that's, that's, that's like, that's like A-level Christianity. That's degree Christianity. That's the people who are serious about their faith and serious about their relationship with the Lord and serious about their relationship with, with their brothers and their sisters. So, again, I believe that this is talking to the body as a whole and that we shouldn't let, you know, a 24-hour period go past without at least attempting and trying to resolve issues with our brothers and sisters. And, you know, again, if, if we were only to act in this way, you know, the question is, you know, would there be so much tension and beef within the body of Christ amongst each other? And he goes on in verse 27, nor give place to the devil. You see, you see, it's like in a way stepping stones. If we, if we allowed the, the sun to go down on our wrath when we are acting in bitterness and we have bad speech and everything, what we're actually doing is we're giving the, play, the devil place in our, in our lives. He says, nor give place to the devil. Don't give him a little inch. You see, if we allow things, if we allow issues to go unresolved and we allow things to fester, you know, this, this is exactly what we, we give the devil an opportunity to do. He works on us. He works in our minds. He works in our thought life. And if we don't do something about it, it can quite easily end up with drama. Things being blown up out of proportion. When really, if we just nipped it in the bud at the beginning, it would have just been dealt with. But again, generally as, as human beings, what we do is we, we, you know, somebody does something, we don't say anything. And then they do something else, we don't say anything. And then what, what we start doing now is like, we're like snipers. We're looking for the little things they do. Oh, oh, you did that as well. Mm, yeah, add it on to it. Yeah, you did that. Oh, you said that, huh? Add it on. And it's all little things, but we start looking for them now. Drama. What you've done is you've allowed the devil to have a foothold within your thought life, within your mind. And Ephesians is saying, don't do it. Don't give place for the devil. You know, don't start thinking a million steps ahead where you're not even at point A when, and, and got the clarity of point A. It makes no sense. And, you know, as I'm saying these things, you know, we've all got examples in our own lives of, of how we've allowed this to happen. We're all guilty. So, you know, the advice is really... Don't be angry in the first place. Don't have bad conversation and communication in the first place. You know, and, so, and don't give the devil an opportunity to, to have a foothold in your life. As we go through our, our walk, you know, again, you know, Galatians 5 just spoke so much to me as I was studying this. You know, the fruit of the spirit and the, and the works and the fruit of the flesh. It just, because if we just acted in and following the fruit of the spirit, it's like it would help so many things. In so many ways. But let's move on. Verse 28. Let him who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Here the apostle looks at the eighth commandment, which is thou shalt not steal. And this obviously applies to stealing money or possessions, but it can also have other connotations of you know, not doing a full day's work. Tax evasion or that little paper clip or that pen from work, which you think nobody notices, which you took without permission, which, you know, it's a small thing. It's an insignificant thing, but can it be put under the heading of stealing? I don't know, technically it can. 
So, stealing is not a characteristic of a believer. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you know, it says that thieves, you know, they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But not totally dwelling on this point because it's in some ways it's an obvious point. Paul goes on to say that, you know, if this was your nature before, before you came into relationship with Christ, he says, he's basically saying change it. It's not rockets. Change it. And if you, was a, if you stole before and you were a thief, well, don't steal anymore and don't be a thief, but now work, he says. And work in such a way that you could, instead of taking from people, you can now be a benefit and you can be a blessing to others. You know, 2 Thessalonians, you know, talks about work. He says, if you don't work, you don't eat. So, you know, as believers, again, we should have that work mentality, work mindset. And again, in terms of salvation, we don't work for salvation, but we work because we have salvation. So we replace stealing with sharing, and we replace taking with giving to others who are in more need than what we are. Verse 29, let's move on. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So Paul switches from the use of the hands to now the use of the mouth. You know, Jesus himself in Matthew 12, he says that our speech would actually reveal exactly what's going on in your heart. Because he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're someone who's just bitter, bitter, bitter all the time, it's actually, it's actually revealing what's in your heart. If you're someone who just likes gossiping about other people all the time, it's revealing what's in your heart. If you're someone who just loves to quote scripture and loves singing praises to the Lord all day long, it's revealing what's in your heart. You know, again, our speech is so important. You know, the book of James even says, you know, your tongue, be careful. If it's a small member, but it could do, it could be, it could do dirty work. Set on fire, whole forest. Is that what he says? Something like that. It could be used for good, or it could be used for evil. And so, here in Ephesians four, you know, we are encouraged not to allow corrupt communication. You know, swearing, crude jokes, sexual innuendos, or anything else that is vulgar. You know, these things, you know, as believers, they shouldn't be coming out of our mouths. They shouldn't be proceeding out of our mouths. And interestingly, the word Paul uses for corrupt or evil words is the Greek word sakros. And this word is specifically used when describing Rotten fruit. Yeah, that was good. Kokri, I like the way. You see, that's the thing you think about when it's rotten fruit, isn't it? You, you think, Ugh. you know, when you go to have an, a, a banana or something and it's all, and it's overripe. And it just don't taste good, does it? It doesn't look good. It doesn't taste good. You think, no, nah, I'm not going to eat that. I use bananas because they get squishy. But you get my point. It's like corrupt words are like that. We should have the same thought when we start thinking. If, the, if those corrupt words start coming out of our, our mouth, that's the effect it's having on the hearer. It's not good. 
And so, you know, if that is, if that is us, we, our conversation is not pure, you know. What we need to do is put a harness on our tongues and, wash our, and watch our conversation. If it's difficult, we need to pray to the Lord. You know, um, in the Psalms it says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You know, the psalmist cried out. He says, look, I don't want to say anything which is dodgy here. So, Lord, I can't, I can't even rely on myself. Lord, you set a guard, oh, Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And so, instead of using corrupt words, we are to exchange these words for what is good and necessary for edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. See, our conversation should be wholesome. And it should be with the intention of building up, building others up, and bringing encouragement to those around us. And bringing encouragement to those, whether they're believers or not. You know, People should be thinking, because you're around, the atmosphere is better. The conversation is purer and richer. People should be thinking that. They should be thinking, oh, when you're here, we talk about these things. It feels like this. It's not like that when you're not around. We should be imparting grace, unmerited favor, to people who are in our earshot. And in verse 30, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, the Apostle Paul reminds the hearers that as believers, we have the Holy Spirit living within, urging us to basically to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And anything less than a pursuit of holiness is grieving to the Holy Spirit. Because he, is, he has sealed us for the day of redemption. And he wants more for, for, from us. And the fact that we can, you know, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The fact that we can grieve the Holy Spirit shows that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. He's not a power or a force as, as some would teach. And the fact that he's able to be grieved means that he must also be able to be loved, to love. And we know that the Spirit loves us and he's encouraging us and he's wooing us. And he wants us to be made again into Christ's image and Christ's likeness. And in so many ways, you know, the verse is saying that the Holy Spirit is taking us on this process of making us into Christ's image and likeness. But if we start using, you know, corrupt words, if we start being angry, if we start lying and doing all these things here, it's like we're stopping the work he wants to do in a sense, and now instead of him sort of like saying, oh, let's do all this stuff so I can make you into the image and likeness of God. He's like, okay, we've got to stop this, pause on this image and likeness on God. Like, because there's sin in your life. And so what I need to do is I need to start convicting you of sin. And I need to, you know, get you to come through repentance and confession of sin and get you back right with God. Right, you're back on track now. Come, let's go back into this image and likeness of God thing again. Do you get it? And so, that's why we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He has sealed us for the day of redemption. That's a positional reality. But 
experientially, you know, we have to go through that process. And so, again, my encouragement is let's not grieve the Holy Spirit in the first place because then we can get on with the good stuff. And then from verse 31, Paul basically summarizes what he has just said, and he gives six negative actions to avoid and three positive actions to adopt. First of six next negative actions, he says, let all bitterness, or the Greek word is pikria, which is sour spirit or sour speech. Let all bitterness, let all sourness of speech, let all sourness of spirit, you know, let it be put away. Let all wrath, which is themos, which denotes someone who has a passionate rage about things. You know, let it be put away from you. Let anger, which we've already looked at. You know, that hostility towards others. Let it be put away from you. Let all clamor. Clamor is an interesting word because... What clamor actually speaks of is someone who likes to get into an argument, but they don't just like to get into the argument. They like to get into an argument and start raising their voices and start being loud. They like quarreling. Clamor. Let all clamor. Let it be put away from you. And evil speaking, which, you know, is the Greek word blasphemia. You know, defaming or destroying someone's reputation or character. You know, let it be put away from you. With all malice, which is wishing or plotting against people, let it be put away from you. Because if you don't deal with these things, if you don't deal with the old man, it's going to have a negative effect on you. And if you don't deal with the old man, as we opened up, we can say, well, look, there's no evidence of fruit here. You know, and Jesus even said himself, he said, you know, what? Well, if it's not producing fruit, let's get the ax to that thing. Jesus said it, I didn't say it. But God doesn't want us to live there because he says, let these things be put away from you. So he moves from the negatives and he gives us us these positive characteristics. So we will end with the three positive actions. And he says, and be kind to one another. Is that such a hard thing to ask? And be kind to each other. And the word for kind here is Christos. What does that sound like? Christos. And, you know, the early Christians during this time, especially in Ephesus, you know, they took great pride in that word because it reminded them so much of their Lord. So, you know, they wanted to act like him. They wanted to be kind. Christos. And it is the desire to be helpful, even to the point where it could mean personal sacrifice. And you know, Jesus himself, even on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, he says, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Wow. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. You know, God is kind to the unthankful and evil. He allows the sun to shine on the just and on the unjust. He is kind. And so, where is children? Should we be kind also? Just stands to reason, doesn't it? And then we have be tender-hearted which is also another word for 
compassion, being compassionate, forgiving one another, which is literally acting with grace towards each other and having that willingness again to overlook a transgression. You know, you offended me, but you know, it's no big thing. I can get over it. I'm not going to hold it to your account. Overlooking something, you know, not, not just saying again, like, ah, oh, you've done me wrong. I'm going to put it in my rucksack. I'm going to let it weigh me down because I'm not letting it go. I'm going to bind it to you. And the reason why we should do all these things, final word, is because he says, just as God in Christ forgave you. God's able to do it for us. We should more than be able to do it for others as well. And so, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word because it's rich, it's powerful. And we thank you, Lord, that, you know, you don't tell us to do these things and leave us helpless. You have given us your spirit. You have given us your word. You have given us the ability to communicate to you in prayer, Lord, so that we can become more like you, so that we can be changed, Lord. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that your word which has gone forth today, Lord, that it continue just to resonate, not just in people's minds, Lord Jesus, but in the center of their being, Lord, which we call the heart, in the heart, in their hearts, Lord. It will resonate, Lord, and it will bring about the desired change. We thank you, we love you, Lord, for the rest of this new day and so forth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.